This Saturday, it will be April Fool's Day on Gesundheit with Jacobus. The focus will be on how we have been fooled by the FDA and Big Pharma throughout the last 100 years. This will include the RDA on nutrition labels, the food pyramid, certain prescription drugs, and the underdiagnosing of illnesses through inadequate blood testing. I will also revisit the damage that American physiologist Ansel Keys created 60 years ago to the health of most Americans. I will not be fooling around this Saturday morning from 8 to 11. Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Uh, yes, it sure is. It's April Fool's Day. I hope uh, you got your shoes tied and your zipper zipped because you know people are going to talk to you about it, going to bring up something and say, hey, check your shoes. Check that zipper. Anyway, I hope you've had some good memories about April Fool's Day. I sure do. I've um, been in that position a few times before, and uh, it was not always fun. But I also uh, I also spread the wealth, uh, so to say. As always, as we talk about topics of health and healing, and uh, some of you may get pretty uh, direct and maybe a little aggressive, express your frustration, so to say. The purpose of the show is education and information, as well as entertainment. We're not here to diagnose, treat, or cure. So keep that in mind. Uh, we're sharing information, and that to me is uh, very important because that is an ongoing, an ongoing process. And yet I totally enjoy... Sitting over here with you, and I do hope that you will stay with me, if you can, all the way till 11 o'clock. Of course, all you regular listeners who may have this station in the background, you may want to turn it up because there's some interesting information coming your way. There are a few points. Obviously, we can talk about food pyramid. We can talk about uh, nutrition labels. Uh, we can talk about the Ansel Keys study. And uh, but there are some other ones in uh, that I have in mind that I wanted to talk to you about on these topics of have we been fooled and how have we been fooled by the FDA, the Western Medical Machine, and the CDC. Uh, topics that I have over here also in front of me are healthcare in America cares about your health, cholesterol causes heart disease. To me. That's a huge one. Cholesterol causes heart disease. Vaccines for better health. Pharmaceutical drugs prevent disease. Another way that we've been fooled, believing that physicians are experts in health. Also that mammograms prevent breast cancer and that medical screenings prevent death. 
the, the quote that more research is needed to find a cure, more research is needed to find cures, and then another big debate, ongoing debate, about fluoride, and uh, the quote that fluoride prevents tooth decay. And uh, we that could be an advertising that is debatable. At the same time, we there is a lot of information out about the absolute dangers of the type of the difference between fluoride and fluorine. And uh, many people don't know the difference. Uh, I would suspect that quite a few of my regular listeners are aware of the difference between fluorine and fluoride. And so we'll talk about that today as well as part of the topics that I have in mind. So let's uh, let's jump on some of these topics. If you, as I said, if you have any thoughts, that something that you either want to chime in on the topic that I'm on, or if there is something you would like to bring as a topic of your concern where you feel, with the emphasis is you suspect or feel, have experienced that we have been fooled in the past and still today about certain disorders, certain medications, certain therapies, or just the way that the educational system, the Western medical educational system is promoting themselves and in all the way they do it through the schools, through the, uh, the medical schools, obviously, through advertising, uh, through, their, through the physicians, through putting pressure on physicians to not say too much, just do more research. So healthcare in America cares about your health. The topic of healthcare is obviously been front and center with the uh, overturn, the repealing, the 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 purpose, the uh, the goal to repeal Obamacare and to replace it with another health bill. The interesting thing that we always have to keep in mind in this that you're dealing with politicians here. You're not dealing with actual concerned citizens. Uh, the health care bill that was proposed seven years ago, that was voted into law seven years ago, had nothing to do with health. It was all about sick care. And the purpose was what can we do to really not take care of the people? I mean, you can give health care to people or you can give insurance to people. It was all about the insurance uh, how do we deal with insurance and what provisions do the insurance company give the regular folks in the United States? And that would include uh, legal citizens and illegal immigrants in this country as much as they could. Now, again, I mentioned this is not put together by the regular folks. This is put together by politicians. And so... The first thing that we have to keep in mind is that politicians do not uh, subject themselves to the same bill, health bill, that was proposed. That was now the Affordable Care Act. Um, 
as the as you and I would have to be participating in this. And so as we are discussing this, keep in mind that the health care bill is really a sick care bill that has to do with the um, insurance companies, with the diagnosis and illness, etc. So how do you put something like that together? You got to keep in mind that the... Um, that the politicians have to do something that is totally out of left field for them because their concern is usually not your health. But they realized something has to be discussed, so now they're coming up with a, pro- with a program or with a bill with the idea to, um, to make it sound that you are all included in this great plan that is called uh, healthcare. Now, Again, when you are when you're dealing with health, it becomes an individual battle. Everybody deals with issues. There is almost nobody who walks around who doesn't have some kind of a fuzzy brain, who doesn't have aches and pains, who do, who hasn't broken something, who has never had never been sick, never had the flu, never had a cold never had a surgery, most of us have gone, well, I would say 99% probably has gone through some kind of ache or pain in their life. And so we know what it feels to not be up to par, to not be 100%. And usually these things do not happen when we are totally relaxed. It usually happens in moments when we need our body and now it doesn't function. And so when you are in a position like that and you know when the body fails fails you you have to understand it you got to keep in mind that the um that you need time the body needs time to reset itself to find time to be calm and relaxed and to find a moment of healing find a moment for healing of the tissue that is damaged and, and as part of this whole healthcare thing, you got to keep in mind that it's all based on the in- individual parts that make up our body. It has to do with brain health, heart health. It has to do with joint health, with cancer, with, uh, uh, you know, depression, for example. So when you are talking about health, you really talk, we should be talking about the whole person. We should be talking about somebody, an individual, because we all have that. An individual, we all have feelings. We all have experiences. We all have dreams. We have, we have ideas what we want to do in life, and that is who we are as a person. Most Western medicine is focusing on the ailment at hand. And and most physicians today, even many in the naturopathic industry, are when you go in, they are helping you to get the ache or pain or imbalance taken care of. And they focus on the issue that you walk into their office for. So if you go in because you're depressed, you will eventually either go to a counselor or you will go to a psychiatrist if it is that bad, because they will give you medication. Now, a psychiatrist is not, isn't interested in your heart health, doesn't care if your liver is, is not working well, and he definitely doesn't care if you're, you are blocked 
when you sit in the bathroom, okay, if you have diarrhea or constipation. That's not their issue. They, they're there as a shrink. They look at the brain. And the same works with a, with a, 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 a cardiologist. A cardiologist is looking at your heart. How is the heart pumping? How are the arteries and vessels around it? And he is not worried. He is not asking you if you have hardness of heart, if you have enough love in your life, if you feel like being loved, um, if you are dealing with frustrations and anger and hatred, if that maybe has affected the way your heart is, you know, beating. They don't care about that part. They literally look at the physical manifestation because somebody else is for that issue. They keep sending you from specialist to specialist in order to help you with your issue. Well, the issue is that the person as a whole, the body, the mind, the spirit is out of balance. And so it is important that when we look at health care in America, we find a system that is focusing on us as beings. And first of all, that means we are, we need to feel encouraged to go after our own health and healing. And so when you talk about when you talk about the 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 the, the, the position that we're in to create a new health care bill that will uh, will overturn Obamacare and move into something new, in my opinion, the reason why the bill failed is okay because, in my opinion, it was not the bill that a country like the United States, which always wants to be the number one, always focuses to be the best, always has been a leader in, in so many ding- things that it has invented, I think that America was falling back too much on what other countries have done and where they have failed at, instead of putting some brilliant minds together and say, how can we, can we create a bill that actually focuses on health care, not on sick care? Uh, 5228255. Caller, thanks for waiting while I'm ranting on here. Oh, there we go. Well, they hung up. That's fine. 5228255 uh, is the call number. And so when we're talking about healthcare, to me, that is going to be the battle. That's going to be, can we create something whereby we look for coverage or we look for uh, or everybody invests into it, but we allow a multitude of therapies to become part of healthcare so that people understand that whatever is best for them as a person are the options that are that are being offered in something like this not just doctors surgery medication uh, and all the issues that go with it so to me those are important parts and i if i hope you can agree with me on that uh, that is definitely something that i feel as part of this whole healthcare we've been fooled we've been fooled to believe that the politicians in Washington understand what health means to the American people, and because of that, they have done the done. They have done the thinking for us, and because they don't know how we feel and what is really needed to improve the health 
of this nation. They have created something that only worked for them, that only worked for the people who they are really connected with, which is the sponsors, which which are which are the um, the the people that are in the closest vicinity who have a special interest in mind, not the interest of the individual. So we have to go back grassroots. We have to push from the bottom up. We have to come up with ideas that say, listen, how can we put this together? So yes, we can talk to an insurance company and everybody maybe has to say, okay, we all have to start from scratch here. The doctors have to say, what do I need to know as a physician to be a better physician to my patients, uh, the insurance companies have to strip down and say, how can we create something that is so unique, that is so special, that sets this nation apart because we're going to be a big part of this. And then as individuals, how can we, how can we inspire the individual Americans to say why it is so important that we take care of this amazing body that has a mind and a spirit and a soul in it, and how can we heal? We how can we find healing? Because in my humble opinion, there is a reason why we're born, and there are goals we have to accomplish and things to learn. And so, to me, if we can focus on what we need to accomplish in this life with our partners, with our children, with our parents in this block of people who are so close to, how can we elevate the awareness, the consciousness, and thereby the health of this nation? In my opinion, if we can create something like that, that would have, that will be involved, that would be described in a health plan, then I think we're going to create something that the whole world is going to look at and say, this is incredible. I mean, definitely the Western world is going to say, wow, I didn't know it could be done, but guess what? The U.S. of A. did it again. They, they, were the, they were the leaders. They were the ones who got it all going. And look at this. This is going to affect all of us in a better way. The next topic i like to discuss is uh, cholesterol. Cholesterol causes heart disease. So there are some very interesting articles that I came up with. And I, uh, I, some of it I would like to, uh, like to read from because I think that it is okay to read from him because when you hear the words of the experts, it, it just makes more sense. It's probably really good, but I will give my own color commentary on it as well. So it is not that uh, we, uh, I'm going to leave you, <laughs> I'm going to leave you over here on the lurk, but uh uh, anyway, the I have said before that back in 2004, there was an article published uh, about a medical doctor and PhD. His name is Uwe Ravenskov. And Uwe Ravenskov came to the realization that cholesterol, as we know it today, as we're being tested, has been made a scapegoat for heart disease. And he said that in studies that he had seen, brilliant studies, that people with high cholesterol, and we're talking cholesterol between 300 and 600, 
actually had very good health. They would never get sick, never had cancer, uh, never heart disease, cardiovascular problems. They ended up dying of old age all of a sudden. So in a way, they had a long quality life, died a very short death. And whereas uh, many people who go on medication because something was made to scapegoat, in this case, the cholesterol, they um, are being told that when they go on medication, that everything will be better. Well, they ended up going on medication. And what happened was that uh, they started having all kinds of ailments. When they brought the people, they took a bunch of volunteers out of this group of high cholesterol individuals, and they put them on statin-type drugs, cholesterol-lowering medications, that brought the cholesterol down to a more manageable range of about 200, 225. But what happened was these people in about five years were developing cancers. They, If they cut themselves, they wouldn't heal like they used to. They would, uh, uh, they would really uh, they'd be sick. And um, so there was a problem with their health. Their health simply deteriorated. They were more tired. They just didn't like it. And so he started doing more research on this and found out that cholesterol, the benefits of cholesterol are multiple and they're very essential to our overall health. And therefore, it is important that we keep our cholesterol at a pretty high level. And even when you go back about 20 years ago, it was so that... um, it was so that the uh, cholesterol over was about, the max was about 300. But what ended up happening is over time, we came to the point where we simply said, uh, well, uh, we got to sell some, some vitamins, not vitamins, prescription drugs here. And that's when the statin drugs were invented to lower cholesterol. And we have seen all kinds of problems coming out of that, especially people dying sooner. And as we come back after the break, we're going to talk about some of these studies that were done and some of the information that's available for that. So please stick with me. And of course, it is Gesundheit with Jacobus. And I'm your host, Jacobus Holloway. And I appreciate you tuning in today. I will be right back. So I was talking about, uh, cardiovascular, about cardiovascular health and about the uh, the the myth, the myth of cholesterol being bad for your heart. Now, some of you may have started reading more information about this, but it is very obvious that the majority of people, the majority of people truly believe that when the cholesterol is elevated, that there is a problem. And that when somebody has a heart attack or cardiovascular disease, the first, there's two things that they will be put on. They will be put on blood thinners and they will be put on cholesterol-lowering medication. And so when that happens is that the doctor who is the cardiologist, the specialist, the man who doesn't know anything about your life except that you just had a heart attack and you were probably going to die, that that was based on your cholesterol. And so let's lower the cholesterol and let's go from that, from that moment on. So this was an article that is published in the latest Wellbeing Journal, the May-June 2017 issue, so they're way ahead. And this is an interview with Johnny Bowden, who is a PhD and a clinical nutritional uh, uh, nutritionist. And But he has... Um, 
Johnny Bowden is the author of numerous books, including, including the 150 healthiest foods on earth, Smart Fat, More Fat, Lose More Weight, Get Healthy Now, and The Great Cholesterol Myth. So the question is, many people still believe the misinformed pronouncements made over the last 50 years advising people to avoid saturated fat, eat margarine or polyunsaturated oils instead of butter, and also foods high in cholesterol, which are all conventions that have now been proven scientifically to be incorrect. In other words, saturated fats is not dangerous, and the, 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 the seed oils like canola, safflower, sesame, walnut, um, uh, those are, and margarine, those are actually very, very, very dangerous for us as people. Even those who know of the new research vindicating saturated fats are still affected by the years of skewed news. Might you be willing to address this issue in general, perhaps in the context of what you have found about the role of nutrition in cardiovascular health. And Johnny Bowden says, I had the same experience as everyone else in this regard. It's hard to get that kind of information about saturated fat or dietary cholesterol causing cardiovascular disease out of your head once it's put in there. Recently, I interviewed a researcher who was involved in one of the seminal studies that absolved saturated fat of any wrongdoing in the body. It was a meta-analysis with about 350,000 patients that posed the question, what's the real relationship between saturated fat and heart disease? The answer was simple, none. So I asked the researcher, would it be safe to say that this study vindicates saturated fat? And you could see he struggled to answer the question with a yes. He said, well, I wouldn't go that far. Let's say we failed to find any evidence of harm. Let's say we failed to find any evidence of harm. So here's someone who has trouble wrapping his mind around the results of research he himself was involved with because it so contradicts the stuff that we've been taught and that we believed about saturated fats for most of our lives. It's not hard to understand how these ideas become entrenched beliefs. It's 50 years. I mean, Ansel Keys, the doctor, he was a PhD actually, a physiologist uh, who lived in 1953 and actually he lived to 2004. The guy ended up being 100 years old when he died. I think he was born in 1904, died in 2004. So maybe he's got something right. But maybe he was sneaking a little fat on the side when nobody was looking. But he gave people the idea that you had to go no fat, low fat. If you were going to do any fat, it had to be fat from a plant and uh, not a saturated fat from animals, for example. So it's hard to understand how these ideas become entrenched beliefs. It's hard to turn what you've been thinking for 30 or 50 years around to face the light of the research now. Um, lean protein. So his own co-author, a wonderful smart man, Stephen Masley, used labels that had crept into this language, such as lean protein. So I said, Steve, what are you saying? Lean protein? If there are no toxins in the fat, if it is grass-fed, why tell our readers to eat lean? I eat all the fat I can 
when I know it is grass-fed. It's just hard to get the old views out of your head. We've been saying lean protein for so long, it's hard to remember that there's no need for the protein to be lean if it's not toxic. So, I totally sympathize with everyone who struggles with how counterintuitive these new findings have become. Most of us were raised on the belief, not the facts, that saturated fat and cholesterol cause heart disease. Getting past that belief, undoing that, that's a very heavy lift. Question. What about people in general? Do they know, do they now know that good, pure, saturated fats such as coconut oil or fats from animals that are grass-fed are not causes of heart disease? Johnny Dowden said, Bowden said, you and I know the research, but I don't think people in general are aware. For those who are aware, it is useful to continue to have that fact substantiated. There's no argument anymore, for example, that dietary cholesterol is not a cause of heart disease. In fact, dietary cholesterol isn't even a cause of high blood cholesterol. And the new guidelines even reflect that, saying that Cholesterol is no longer a nutrient of concern in the diet. The new guidelines even reflect that, saying that cholesterol is no longer a nutrient of concern in the diet. However, there is just a caution here for a small number of people. Under 5% of the population who have an inherited condition called familial hypercholesterolemia, those people may be responsive to cholesterol in the diet and they might have to limit it for the overwhelming majority of people who have cholesterol in the diet, for example, from eggs, is of literally zero concern. But even though the establishment now knows that cholesterol in eggs or shrimp doesn't make a weight of difference, that isn't a repudiation of the cholesterol theory. The dietary establishment still thinks cholesterol in the blood is a big problem, although they now admit that eating cholesterol doesn't raise your blood cholesterol. They still believe the theory that blood cholesterol is a very important metric. I think blood cholesterol is fairly irrelevant in terms of predicting heart disease, particularly when they use the old-fashioned, out-of-date cholesterol test that just measures HDL and LDL. The test is long past its expiration date. So I want to uh, say a, a couple things. Uh, when Uwe Ravenskopf was talking about high, familial hypercholesterolemia, he said those were actually the people who had um, who had uh, uh, cholesterol between 300 and 600, but they just never got sick. They they died of old age in old age and never had cancer or heart disease or uh, even infections would heal overnight. Never really had the flu or cold. They were just extremely strong people. Uh, one thing though in familial hypercholesterolemia is that you cannot only and there is a there is a controversy. So I I'm learning. I say controversy, but it's partly because I still have to learn certain things, accept certain things. When it comes to understanding LDL and HDL cholesterol, but when the HDL, I tell people, look at your blood test. If the HDL is 35 to 45, 35 to 45, you're in a danger zone. That is really a risk. So if you have high cholesterol and in that cholesterol, your HDL, your good cholesterol, call it, is 35 to 45, there is a problem for 
potential heart disease or maybe a heart attack. It's just not good for the heart. Your LDL, what they call the bad cholesterol, and I've explained this in the past, it is an extremely important cholesterol. It is an extremely important cholesterol, and that is uh, uh, something that uh, goes in the body to help fight infections, inflammation, and injuries. So when we have an injury of any kind or we have an infection we're fighting, the chances are that the LDL cholesterol is going up because the liver makes cholesterol and the cholesterol, the job of the cholesterol is to help us. So obviously, otherwise the liver wouldn't make it. So when the liver makes cholesterol, there is a purpose for it. To then go as a physician and say, well, I don't like the way the numbers look. I'm going to put you on something that lowers the cholesterol. Then you are not doing the, the body a service because the body is trying to be in this healing mode. So when you have injured yourself or you have an infection or inflammation, like you work out really hard and you, you come home and you're sore. You're sore in your hip. You're sore in your glutes. You're sore in your thighs. You're sore in your lower back because you did certain exercises. The chances are that if you were to do an LDL test at the time, you'll find or within a day or two, you're going to find that the LDL is, is up. And part of that is because the purpose of the LDL, one of the purposes is to heal, to, to help the cardiovascular vessels, the uh, blood vessels, the arteries heal from an infection, an injury, or an inflammation. And so once the body finds the healing, the LDL will automatically go down. So people who have high LDL, they are at a risk of, that means that they're doing something to the body. Now, what is the issue though? When it comes to, um, when it comes to actual um, LDL cholesterol and HDL cholesterol, there is something we got to keep in mind. And that is the, uh, the fact that there is not just one LDL and one HDL. There are about five different HDL levels numbers and there is there are five different LDL numbers and so this is an important thing to realize I just got to take a sip here my throat is getting dry anyway the HDL so let's see here what does Johnny Bowden says there is the fact that cholesterol is important for many functions including repair of inflammatory damage to arterial walls that's the question and going a step further, there's the research of Linus Pauling about vitamin C and how it prevents cardiovascular disease because of its mechanism of repair to the inflammatory damage in the layer of epithelial cells in arteries. So it's not just a cholesterol issue. And Johnny Bowden says, oh, not at all. The notion that plaque is made up of just cholesterol and other myth like that have long been debunked. Do you hear that? If you think that cholesterol is the plaque that forms in your system, he says that has long been debunked. And I think that he's talking about Uwe Ravenskopf back in 2004. That's 13 years ago. But the books in the medical profession have not been changed yet. They just have a heck of a time giving it up. An important point to make here, Johnny says is that the notion that cholesterol just comes in two flavors, good and bad, is obsolete. We now know that there are five different varieties of HDL, such as HDL2A and 2B, 
and at least five different varieties of LDL cholesterol, notably LDL-A, which is pretty harmless, and LDL-B, which is not. Medicine in general is still using a completely antiquated method. That is, they measure your good cholesterol and your bad cholesterol. This is nonsense. The particle test, particle, which actually looks at each division of LDL and HDL, sees that these have differently, that they that these behave, these particles behave differently in the body. For example, LDL-A looks like a cotton ball under a microscope and does just about as much damage. LDL-B, on the other hand, is a nasty little atherogenic oxidized particle that causes the dust cause problems. So as long as medical professionals are measuring these things in old-fashioned ways, without looking at the distinctions that actually matter, they're not even prescribing based on a real risk factor. They're looking at total cholesterol, which means nothing, and LDL and HDL, which by themselves are not as meaningful as knowing what kind of HDL or LDL you're looking at. So, I urge people to get the more specific particle test, not your general test for plain old HDL and LDL. When doctors prescribe statin drugs based on total cholesterol or just LDL cholesterol, they are really practicing antiquated medicine. They're treating a number, not a patient. Let me read that sentence again. When doctors prescribe statin drugs based on total cholesterol or just the LDL cholesterol, they are really practicing antiquated medicine. They're treating a number, not a patient. So when you look at LDL and you take large particles LDL, so imagine a big beach ball rolling down the uh, the steps or over bumps, etc., and it, it doesn't catch on to anything. But if you take the LDL-B particles, those are small, they're hard, they're sticky, and if there is any crack anywhere in the cardiovascular wall, in the arterial wall, then what happens is they can stick right there. They can grab onto something, and now the next one comes and just grabs onto the other little one. And now they start building a lump that could become a plug, a clogging. But to simply say, your cholesterol is high, so I put you on cholesterol-lowering medication makes absolutely no sense. And I hope you understand what I am saying. If you are worried about heart disease, there are different reasons why we get heart disease. And one of them is a drop in testosterone. Guys who drop testosterone to less than 550 on the total testosterone, they have a 30% increased risk of developing cardiovascular problems and heart attack and a 24% increased risk for developing a stroke. Now, those are important numbers. That's important to know. Testosterone goes down, and it is similar for women. When testosterone goes down in women, they increase their risk for cardiovascular health and a stroke. Now, you also have the issue of... um, The, there is also the issue of um, uh, with the LDL, have your particle size checked. And, oh, the other thing for heart attack, sorry, I lost my train of thought for just a moment. 
the other reason for heart attack, have your doctor test your homocysteine levels. Homocysteine. Serum homocysteine. Because homocysteine is 10 times more accurate in diagnosing a possible risk for a heart attack or a cardiovascular episode than cholesterol will ever be. Homocysteine. It is an amino acid, a protein, that when it comes in the body, it's supposed to be converted into another amino acid. The amino acid is called methionine. It does that with the help of certain B vitamins, B6, B12, and folic acid. If you don't have enough of these B vitamins, or if the system just cannot break it down in general, and the homocysteine levels stay high in the body, you are at a high risk of developing a cardiovascular episode. So, if you are above 10, you are at a high risk. If you are between 5 and 10, let's say 7 to 10, you are at a medium risk. The goal would be to be to get around 5. Homocysteine around 5 will be very safe. If you have that, so next time you do a blood test, get a particle blood test on the LDL and the HDL. It's about, it's less than 100 bucks to get that test, and it is worth it because once you know what kind of particles you have, you don't have to worry about it anymore because now it is a... Um, now you know how your cholesterol is made and what kind it makes. So if you have large LDL particles, the LDLA, high particles are good, then what happens is you will actually be able to avoid major heart problems and you will then protect your health by sticking with a higher cholesterol because it is so important for so many reasons. So in any case, we are coming up to the end of the first hour. There's a lot more to talk about. I got quite a few topics right here on Gesundheit with Jacobus. But we're going to be right back. Thanks for listening. So uh, all of a sudden, I got three telephone calls. And so I'm going to take number one. The other two will have to stay in hold or call back. Good morning, caller. What's your name? How can we help you, please? Morning, Jacobus. This is Paul. Hey, Paul. Thanks for joining. You bet. I love the subject you're talking about this well, morning. Well, great. <laughs> I, well, I don't know if I've ever told you. I'm, I am a pilot, of, a professional pilot of 58 years, going on 59. Fifty of those years was as an aerial applicator. Okay. And you're dealing with subjects that are near and dear to my heart uh, because there's a there's a very close tie between the agrochem industry and the medical industry. Most of the same, most of the products in both fields are made by the same manufacturers. Right. And, and then of course there's the relationships between those manufacturers and government, Mm -hmm. which is convoluted. Exactly. I've been trying to reason through, where these problems begin and unfortunately the reasoning process makes you conclude that they're 
the origin of the problems is is in multiple places. One of them is is what we refer to as junk science, which really is the the scientific process, but focused on too narrow a view. We've all heard coffee's good, coffee's bad, eggs are good, eggs are bad, so many times that we're sick of it. Yes. And and, uh, I'll pick on eggs, for example. When research tried to tell us that uh, eggs were bad because they were high in cholesterol, it totally missed the the surrounding situation <clears throat> that exists in eggs. Yes. That is, in this case, they're also high in lecithin. Yes. Which counteracts exactly. uh, yeah. <laughs> the effects of cholesterol. Right. <clears throat> but that demonstrates what's wrong in science these days. I've talked to a number of recent Ph.D. graduates and started asking them questions about what it was that they went through, what they studied, what they wrote up, what they defended, uh, and so on, uh, to get their Ph.D., and you always find that its focus is so narrow as to be essentially worthless in the real world. Yeah. Um, So... One of the places that, that we've gone wrong is in our educational system. We, we endow uh, the title of doctor of something upon a lot of people who I, I tend to think many, not all, but many, uh, have a focus that is so narrow that the research that they're going to be doing is, is not going to turn, turn out good information. Right. We both know that uh, that cholesterol is not a a problem. It's an it it's an expression of a symptom. The body trying to to take care of a problem that we've created somewhere else, mm-hmm. which is generally in the circulatory system and irritation. Yes, but we have cholesterol in every cell of the body. Yeah. So the the even the muscle cell people who have low cholesterol many times don't have any muscle tone. They just cannot hold on to muscle, and yeah. we need muscle in order to keep the frame straight. And if the frame is not straight, then we get we have a tendency to wear out the discs, and the uh, uh, we get arthritis, aches and pains, and nobody starts looking at what the reason. That's why what the reason is behind it. That's why so many people with aches and pains and arthritis happen to be also on statin drugs. Yeah, <laughs> and which well, may lower cholesterol, but that's going to upset something else too. Sure. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, then the rest of the problems, in my view, tend to come from that that relationship between. Uh, we'll call them manufacturers or big business and and government. Mm-hmm. Government does not. Anytime you put your life's destiny in the hands of politicians, you're going to have problems. Yes. <laughs> Many of the judgments that are made, you know, I mean, the current situation where they can't seem to can't seem to get it together and deal with 
uh, Obamacare, et cetera, et cetera, uh, because they're 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 referring to the wrong people. They're not listening to those of us who all of that system is supposed to be serving. They're they're listening to each other and, yes. and dealing with with it on on their their agenda driven desires. Absolutely true, Paul. Yeah, yeah. So that's so, yeah. I agree. <laughs> well, I could I could spend lots and lots of time, but uh, maybe I'll stop into the store one of these days and we'll have a little little more detailed conversation. Yeah, I'll I'll make some organic coffee and then we can uh, sit and chat about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul. I appreciate your chiming in and thanks for your wisdom and thanks for your call. You bet. Okay. Bye bye. So let's get a caller on. Good morning, caller. I really appreciate your tuning in today. Hope you're doing well. What's your name? How can we help you? You may not know me, but uh, I've come to uh, establish some balance here. Ah, uh, can't believe that. Ah, yeah, for one thing, our telephones shut off with two minutes. Uh, usually, the, the at least the cell phones will shut oh. off. Uh, oh. Now, I thought I'd bring a little balance here about the medical industry. As you may have heard, they have been, they've had a survey to find the happiest nation in the world since 2012. Last year was Denmark. This year, the title goes to Finland. Uh-huh. But the uh, thing is, Finland pays the second most for health care in the world after America. There is uh, some security in having abundant health care services. So here are some of the other factors I dug up about why Finland is so happy. Every child that's born goes home in a cardboard box. They've been using this 75 years. It's it's a custom that's quite comforting. Got a, a nice, quiet, organic place with blankets and toys, and everybody starts out feeling equal. And also, Finland has about the most successful school system in the world. Uh, it's free, and they've been first place in many of the uh, modes for years. Uh, they have 3 million saunas. Some of the freshest air in the world. Lapland has the cleanest in Europe air. Uh-huh. Water's good. Most of Europe won't put fluoride in their uh, water. Mm-hmm. Have a, a very well-designed buildings, very creative. Considered very safe. They have good restaurants. It's uh, oh, and here's one. I uh, have custom. a feeling. I have a feeling you are booking a ticket, uh, Daniel. I don't even have a passport. Uh, oh. I, yeah, here's one other thing that would drive a talk show host up the wall. One of the customs they have is not to interrupt each other, so they quietly hear out the other huh. person, then they speak their piece. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can, you know, actually, after all the years that you have called in, which is pretty much since the very beginning, uh, I always wonder when you are going to walk in the studio and say, can I have my own show? Well, you know, I came uh, the Daniel R. Peterson was, show. <laughs> yeah, I came uninvited one time, and that's the other thing. What what has happened to Natural Path? I've come in quite a bit. He happened to be there, and we it turned out we were both born the same year. Oh, Doctor Dan oh, Carter. Doctor Dan Carter. He moved out of town. He went to Portland. Oh, well, good. We're both the same age and the same month. In fact, uh, we're both. Done monkeys i think we're both wood monkeys if, uh. if you know there are kind of a lot of varieties 
Mm-hmm. And when uh, you're you're the rooster right now. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, and, uh, so we're well, gonna go. You're gonna go to Finland, or you wanna you wanna talk about Finland as the happiest people in the world? Well. No, I guess I've shot my wad on that. Uh, it turns out Congo of the 144 states or so is the saddest. It has an ongoing revolution, and it has some of the richest resources, but they can't get at the stuff, like having a treasure chest in mm. their uh, bedroom, but the bedroom's locked. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks for the input. Have a Thanks good weekend. Yeah, it yeah. was it was nice seeing you on Thursday, by the way. Yeah, yeah, you sure had a lot to say, and then you you have to put in questions and answers. That's the uh, part of modern lectures. Uh, you got the questions and answers in too. Yeah, thank you. I uh, I I really enjoy the questions and answers because that tells me what the people are interested in. You know, yeah. I can I can bring a topic. And people can say, oh, he's going to give a lecture, so I want to hear it. But at the end of the lecture, I find out what people, what really grab their attention, because those are the questions they're going to ask. So. Yeah, yeah. As I saw in the paper, another lecture in your series was about decluttering your life. It turns out that uh, almost 20% of the Americans, when they're empty nesters, instead of saying we're going to downsize, they say we got to buy a bigger house to put all this stuff in. Uh, yeah. It's it strange habit of the Americans. I wonder if other countries would do something like that. Uh, distracting maybe from other things. But anyway, yeah. I appreciate it, Daniel. I'm going to continue okay. a lot to talk about. But thanks for the Thank call. You. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Good, good. I was reading from this article at the in the Wellbeing Journal and it is an interview with uh, Johnny Bowden, a PhD, about uh, who's written several books on fat and diet and um, healthy fats and cholesterol, understanding all that, and myth and lies. And so uh, the, they have a great, interesting um, interview with them. The next question, uh, couldn't you even say that without the particle test, they are practicing non-evidence-based medicine? So could you, couldn't you even say that without the particle test, so if you just test a patient for HDL, LDL, cholesterol, and based on those two numbers, you make a judgment if the person is fine or not, then you have a problem. So could you say that they're practicing non-evidence-based medicine? He says, yes, if I had an LDL of under 100, a conventional doctor would be very happy. If 99% of that 100 pounds were LDL-B, so the small particles, that would actually be a real problem. But it would not be noticed by the doctor if she or he was only looking at a test that measures total LDL and not at the particle breakdown. On the other hand, so <clears throat> when I talk to people just about the LDL, then I tell them usually if you are less than 70, that's very good on the LDL. If you are between 70 and 90, that's pretty good. If you get over 100, that indicates to me that you are fighting something. You are fighting an injury, an infection, or an inflammation, however you want to fill that in. Uh, um, I've told the story before about the lady who broke her neck, and in a six-month period, so she had her test done every six months, 
And her LDL went from 75. She was always around 70, 75. She had a good cholesterol of 125. It was amazing. Very healthy person. And all of a sudden, her LDL had jumped to 299. And the doctors immediately wanted to put her on statin drugs because they were afraid of a for a stroke. And I asked her, I said, where is the fat? Is, it, uh, is the cholesterol in the neck? And she said, yes, it's, it's in the neck. And I said, well, why is it in the neck? And she said, well, I broke my neck three months ago. And I said, so what happened is your, your cholesterol, which, by the way, is made by the liver. The liver, why would the liver make something if it was harmful for us? So the LDL is pumped up because all those LDL particles have to go to the neck to start the healing process. And so they are covering up. So just as you would cut yourself with a knife and the skin splits open and blood gushes out, when you are able to stop the bleeding, a scab will form. And that scab will stay there until new stem cells have come to the area by the body, sent by the body, to not only remove the cells that were cut in half, but also to replace those cells so the, un, the non-specific stem cells become skin cells. Once they are in place, then the scab will loosen and fall off. And we see a beautiful little white line where it used to have a cut. And now all of a sudden, it's all healed up. Um, even when you, uh, you, your cut is that big that you have to get stitches, the stitches, they stitch it up. But in the meanwhile... There is a process happening behind the scenes where stem cells are trying to heal the body, heal the damage, and then replace the broken cells. So if you go, if you say, look at the scab and you say, I don't like the looks of a scab, I want to scratch it off, and you use your nails to scratch off that scab, several things will happen. Number one, it hurts. Number two, it starts bleeding again. And number three, uh, within a few days, it will get infected. It turns red and yellow pussy and really painful now. And you don't want to touch it because if you don't, the scab at some point will fall off and then everything is fine. So if you look at the blood vessels, when the blood vessels are holding on to LDL cholesterol, it simply means there is a scab, the LDL is forming a scab so that underneath the scab, the body can start a healing process to heal the damage done to the, the blood vessels or the arteries. So now what happens is that the um, now what happens is is that once the body, the stem cells have healed the blood vessels, the by that time the LDL simply detaches and is removed out of the body through the lymphatic system and. Point in case, of case in point, this lady who had this, all of a sudden, this LDL of 299, what happened was that she was, all of a sudden, she was, um, within a year, so I told her to do more garlic capsules, vitamin C, vitamin E, the fish oil, do like a tablespoon a day, and I said, just take a little more of what you have, take like six, six to 10,000 vitamin C, take more vitamin E. Within a year, her LDL was had come down to about 190. And so over 100 points down without doing any medication. And after two years, 
it was down to about, uh, what was it, about 85. So incredible restoring. And so she never went on the statin drugs because the statin drugs is you go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you have a lot of cholesterol. So I have to lower the cholesterol. You have all those scabs on in your blood vessels. I want to scratch off those scabs. Well, like I said on the outside, if you scratch them, if you scratch them off, there is a damaging, there is an infection that starts. And as we continue with this information on, on the cholesterol, we see an increase in cancer amongst people who are on statin drugs. We see an increase in Alzheimer's because we are removing fat from places where it needs to be. And we are actually accelerating death. People die younger when they are taking statin drugs when their cholesterol is very, very low under the circumstances. Alrighty, folks, uh, we're going to take another short break. We're going to be right back. We're talking about uh, cholesterol right now, and the purpose of the show was, have we been fooled? Do you feel that we have been fooled by the Western medical machine, by the FDA, the CDC, the pharmaceutical companies, and therefore what is really happening to us as far as health is concerned? Here we're talking about health in general. Uh, people are screaming for a practical healthcare bill and we just don't uh, don't get it so there is a there is an issue that comes up with um what is healthcare really mean what is it about health care versus sick care and do we really trust the people in charge to worry about us about who we are and uh, perhaps the biggest it says over here Perhaps the biggest health myth today is the public's misconception that mainstream medicine and the healthcare system helps sick people. Nothing could be further from the truth. Why do people follow medical authorities who prescribe toxic vaccinations, medications, and treatments which only serve as a detriment to human health? For example, the cholesterol medication we're just talking about, in a way, it has no main purpose in the body because they have made cholesterol the scapegoat for heart disease. And that is not true. That is only extreme small percentage of people who have a potential build-up issue of cholesterol when their particle size on the LDL, the LDL B, A, B, C, D, E, B, is those if those are elevated. So if you have a cholesterol, an LDL cholesterol of 130, but the particle size is LDLA, which is the 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 the, the larger particles, the puffs, the, the cream puffs, so to say, that won't stick to anything because they're too big to stick. They just keep rolling along. You are better off health-wise than when you have an LDLB particle size that is the small particles that are in that are at 95 so the doctor will look at your label will look at you and say ldl is only 95 so you are safe but that person has a much higher risk 
of developing aches and pains and and possibly heart problems than the people who have large particles. So at, at 130, that's a lot less dangerous. And and keep in mind that LDL is out there trying to help you heal from an injury, an infection, or inflammation. There is a caller on hold. Good morning, caller. Thank you for waiting. What is your name? How can we help you, please? Yeah, hello. This is Dave in Butte. Hey, Dave in Butte. Thanks for calling. Yeah, you're giving us so much information here today. I've been taking notes, but on this last thing, and I know you've repeated it, uh, the LDL-A and the LDL-B, B. is there somehow I can look that up uh, yep. and uh, and agree with you? Uh, what, what would I what would I Google? You couldn't get... Can I can I Google LDL Part A or no? You do a uh, you you Google particle size cholesterol test. Okay, great. Okay, I'm writing fast here. Particle size cholesterol test. Okay, then I yeah. got other questions. Yeah, here. because then there there seem to be five HDL particles and five LDL particles, and once you understand the sizes and the danger that they can uh, bring to you. Then when you go to the doctor and have a test done, my understanding is that LDL of the uh, the cholesterol particle test is less than a hundred bucks. Now, when you do a regular cholesterol test, you the fat test, the fasting cholesterol test, you may spend maybe twenty bucks. But a hundred dollars to actually know what your particle size is at, so that you know for the future if you have to worry about your cholesterol or not and what you need to do about it. To me, that would be a valuable investment to spend that extra eighty bucks. Uh, yes, it would. I might say, you know, I lost the use of an arm, so I uh, am really concerned about having a stroke and losing my good arm. Yes. So uh, four years ago, I turned into a health nut. Oh. Okay, uh, you know, and by the way, I think I'd have to have permission from my doctor to get the blood work done. I guess I'd have to convince him if you follow me. Yeah, I don't think you need to. Uh, you need to get permission. You just have to be the one who is instigating the conversation. Oh well, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, stretching it here, but when I I just can't go have blood work done. I have to have the doctor uh, authorize it with uh, blood testers. But that's probably another question. Uh, <laughs> okay, so moving along here. Yes, Dave. You know, I thought, I, I thought um, you know, I thought, um, I heard you say that woman with the broken neck had 125 cholesterol, 135. She, that was really good, really healthy. The HDL, the HDL. The HDL. Her good, oh, her, her good cholesterol was 125. Uh, well, I'm just talking about cholesterol, not HDL or LDL. Yes. The cholesterol total. Yes. And mine is 135. Total. That's, that's good. Are you talking about your grand total cholesterol is 135? Well, I'm looking at my blood sheet right here. Uh, what, does, uh, what does your HDL say? 57. You're almost safe. I say if you can get above 60, you are, uh, you are in the safe zone. If you get over 84 on the HDL, that would be excellent. And I got a note here from my regular doctor. He said the only way you can get your HDL up is with red wine and exercise. You ever heard of that? Well, what happens is when you uh, the red wine mm, that is well that is okay. I wouldn't say that the red wine will get your HDL up because when you uh, drink a lot of red wine, I don't think you have any energy to exercise. 
Well, that's, I'm just uh, kidding, Dave. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, well, what if you have like a, what would be a what would be a safe like uh, a glass that every other day? No, you enjoy getting... enjoy yourself. If you have a good wine, you can easily have a glass or two every day. Uh, but do and it that, and you that it raise the HDL? No, it, I wouldn't go that far. I think the exercising okay, well, will that's raise what I'm it. Trying to get at sure, use your expertise here, class. Yeah, I would say I would say that the exercising will increase testosterone. So if you do uh, if you do resistance exercise, not just sitting on the bicycle or walking on the treadmill. If you can do something that has weight resistance, you are engaging the muscles. When you engage the muscles, you are increasing your testosterone. When your testosterone increases, you are increasing your HDL. Okay, I go to the gym every other day. Good. Uh, so that so then uh, my uh, LDL, you know, is seventy one. But I'm trying to get to that total cholesterol. It says one thirty five. Is yes. that too low? I for me it is too low. Yes. What I, what do you what should it be? I think you can be over two hundred. No kidding. Yeah, but the, okay, the, I the, go the, overboard as I said because I lost an arm. I go overboard, and uh, I'm not always know what I'm doing. So uh, I could I could get that up there. Well, you say you told me about four years ago you became a health nut. Uh, what does that yeah. mean? What What does a health nut mean to you? Are, are you changing your well, diet? Uh, I, I eat a lot of greens. I even eat greens for breakfast. I go exercise. I, I get good sleep. I, I eliminate stress. I have a social support network. Uh, I cut. I never buy red meat from a grocery store. I only eat uh, wild game. Um, I, uh, I eat kale a lot. Um, I eat uh, bok choy. Um, I've. And I got a neighbor who's a Seven Day Adventist, you know, and a retired doctor. And you know, Seven Day Adventists worship. Health only second to God. Yeah. And by the way, that leads into a next question. If we're not through with that one, we can get into it. But he ferments his food. Mm-hmm. He makes fermented food. And that doctor show that was on before you, that was an excellent program this morning. Yes, it is. And that seven-day Adventist neighbor, he's trying to get me to do that. And uh, so that's what I meant by health nut. Yeah, I agree. The fermentation is really good because it gives you, uh, it helps the acidity in the stomach, and it also helps the uh, the bacteria in the gut, in the intestines. Yeah, and so all that's diseases really good. are in the gut almost, don't they, from the immune system? Yes, but I think that if you want to bring your HDL up a little bit, uh, one way to do that as well is with the B three niacin uh, vitamin. So vitamin B three, which is also called niacin. And then I would, uh, the only thing that niacin has, it gives people a little bit of a flush in the face that may last a few minutes for some that is comfortable, okay, other people don't like it, but niacin has been shown to increase HDL. Fish oil, like the good omega-3 fish oil with a high EPA, the EPA has to be higher. You look at the label and you find out how much is in a teaspoon or how much is in a capsule? The The goal is that you go to at least 1,500 milligrams of HDL per day to bring up heart health and to bring up your HDL and to help the LDL to be more balanced. Uh, so okay, now, excuse me. Yeah. Yes. Uh, was there a number you were going to give me uh, on that fish oil label, a number that is put, the EPA, is there, is there a number you can give me? Yeah, so when you turn the label over, where you look at uh, the, the little, um, the, the nutrition label, it says supplement facts, 
right under the word supplement facts. If you grab any vitamin bottle in your house, turn it over, it will say supplement facts. And under the supplement facts, it will say serving size. It could say a teaspoon, it could say a tablespoon, it may say one capsule, two capsules, three capsules, whatever it says. It simply means that the rest of that label, the milligrams on the rest of that label are based on that serving size. So if three capsules is the serving size and it gives you an HDL of 450, excuse me, an EPA of 450, that means if you just take one capsule a day, you only get 150. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Uh, so if the serving size, if the serving size three capsules, three, three, three pill, are you saying I should take three pills then? You have to look at your label, and you have oh, to find well, out. This four fifty. I should take four, three pills then, if they're one fifty each. Exactly. Then you have to take ten a day. Is that okay? You that would give you fifteen hundred milligrams of EPA. And that's what we're supposed to shoot for. That's what you're supposed to shoot for to, as a therapeutic dose on just the EPA. So if you do a, if you do a liquid, you probably get there by one or two teaspoons of liquid. Will also get you about fifteen hundred a day. And, and uh, what you're saying there, uh, Jacobus? Could I Google that? Yes, you can. And uh, w what would I say? How to uh, determine how many vitamins to take? No, or? how much EPA? EPA fish okay. oil? Fish oil? Okay, EPA? How and much? Okay. Okay. And now, one, one uh, thing, one thing that you can go, you, you can go to the company website from Nordic Naturals. Nordic Naturals has a lot of third-party research on their website. Nordic Naturals fish oil, and okay. they have third-party research about where they talk about EPA and DHA and how important it is. Okay, uh, uh, you probably have someone waiting. Do you have someone waiting? No, just myself. A lot of, lot of, okay. lot of stuff on my agenda. So that, that, excuse me. That, uh, that doctor this morning talked about those life-stretching enzymes, and he he mentioned what enzymes were. How you got to have the enzymes to make things happen in your body. You know. Uh, yes. And if you don't have enough of them, that's how you get arthritis and lung disease and heart disease. And um, sure. Uh, you want to comment on a product that's advertised on your radio station? Do would you believe in that life-stretching enzyme? I don't know him. I do not, never heard of him before. I, only on that oh, radio show. Oh, well, that show. guy, you know, that Forbidden Doctor this morning, he was no, on before you. Yes, I know. You, you're familiar with the Forbidden Doctor. Yes, I, I've heard him on that program. I usually listen to him when I drive to the studio, but once I'm in the studio, I'm focusing on uh, on getting my show ready. So I may... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, I can look that up. And then, I don't know if this is too big a subject that we touched on before, uh, uh, Jacobus, but uh, and it, can you say something like uh, how to do fermented food, or should I just look that up? Yeah, there's different ways to do fermented food. Uh, you got okay. you got a slide. You can look at you look at, look at something like kimchi, K I M C H I. Uh, kimchi is a South Korean way of um, of fermenting food, but to make sauerkraut and fermentation. Uh, there are different methods out there. You can look that up. But I um, I think, Dave, that it is important to keep in mind that when you're talking about enzymes, there are enzymes in that we have systemic enzymes and we have digestive enzymes. And I think what this doctor is talking about is uh, digestive enzymes. 
But one thing that we always have to keep in mind is that we need to have adequate enzymes and acid in the stomach so that we can start the liquefying of all the food that we are putting in the mouth. We need to liquefy the food. So we don't want to drink while we eat. We don't want to drink anything unless you sip a glass of wine. We don't want to drink anything 30 to 40 minutes before we eat because the stomach acid is building up to become really acidic. And then uh, you don't want to drink uh, in larger amounts 30 to 40 minutes after you're done eating because the stomach is full. The acid is breaking down and liquefying the food. So if you want to sip on a little bit of water, that's fine, or tea or juice, whatever, or you have like a cocktail or you have a glass of wine, those are very small amounts. But if you drink a glass of water, 12 ounces, 8 ounces, 10 ounces, you are damaging the workings of the stomach and you can get all kinds of issues. So I think that the fermentation naturally already happens in the, the digestion happens in the stomach if we allow the stomach enzymes to be acidic. And so that is that means don't drink for about two hours while before, so before and after is a whole time period of about two hours. Now, okay. Yes. Go ahead. So, I heard you say that. Go ahead. Yeah. And so then the next part is that you, it, your food will leave the stomach and hit the duodenum, but just connect it with the small intestines. In the duodenum, you get the pancreatic enzymes. So the pancreatic enzymes have one protease that converts liquid proteins into amino acids. It has amylase, which converts liquid carbohydrates into simple sugars. And it has the lipase enzyme, which is converts the fats into the EPA, DHA, GLA, and all the usable fats that we have. It also will use bile from the gallbladder for that. So now it moves into the small intestine and the whole environment changes from an acid and, and acid and enzyme-rich environment into an alkaline environment of bacteria and some yeast in the small intestine where absorption happens. So my feeling is that one reason, come back to the uh, cholesterol for you, one of the reasons, in my opinion, that your cholesterol is as nice as it looks is because you have gone to a lot of wholesome carbohydrates. You don't eat much bread and junk and pasta. You stay with vegetables and root vegetables and maybe a little bit of grain and you have your lean meats and stuff. So naturally, your naturally your, your cholesterol tends to run a little bit lower because you don't really put any toxins in your system. So I wouldn't worry about the cholesterol. Usually, based on this information, you can go higher on your cholesterol. But if you are stuck at 75 on your LDL or 73 and your HDL is where it is at 58, I would still say bring that HDL up. It's You're not in a danger zone. That is 35 to 45. So in my opinion, you're fine. But if you can bring it up with some exercise, maybe with some niacin, maybe some some uh, some fish oil, I think you're going to like it even better. Okay, Jacobus, uh, let me run over some, some things here real quick now. Because I got that low cholesterol, are you saying that tends, I would have a lower uh, testosterone? I think the HDL, yes, will be lower testosterone. So uh, can I ask for your age, Dave? 69. 69. So the youthful 
number. As men have loose testosterone, they're also losing muscle mass. And we simply lose testosterone as we age. But when they did a test on people, 2,500 people for five years that were all who were old men who were all between 69 and 81 years old, they found out that this group of men was simply um, dealing with age-related diseases such as heart disease, strokes, cancer, prostate cancer, obesity, diabetes, arthritis, and so and dementia. And they were talking about, okay, what is the difference between these men and a younger group of men? And the big difference was the hormone balancing. There were less, there were more estrogens in older people, uh, older men, and there was less testosterone in older men. So when they started. When they started bringing all this information back out to normal levels to raise the testosterone, lower the estradiol, the, the muscle tone came back, the heart health came back, the risk for prostate cancer went out the window, and uh, they had no more risk for strokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, are, are we done? We're pretty much done, yes. Uh, I wanted to say one more thing, no time? Go for it. Well, uh, without doing the, the the exacting fermenting, aren't like greens and broccoli? Doesn't that promote uh, good uh, uh, fermentation in your gut? Yes, it will help you. Oh, okay, thank you. Bye bye. Thank all you the, so much. All the best, uh, Dave. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Bye bye. Yeah. All right, folks. We will going to be uh, right back. Stay tuned, please. There is a lot more to come where this came from. You have been fooled by the American Western medical machine, American medical machine, the CDC, the FDA, the pharmaceutical industry, the commercials about what they consider health when all they want to do is sell something. I, I keep saying that we have to move away from looking at our health as individual parts but we have to look at ourselves as the person who we are, the, the heritage we're from, the experiences we have had in this life, the, uh, the loves, the hates, the uh, dis disappointments, the successes, the feelings, the aches and pains, the emotional feelings, the physical aches and pains, the mental pain. Many people are still in there. How can we isolate those and say, wait a second, we don't want to isolate them. We actually need to incorporate them in the person, in the individual, in the heart and soul and the brain and the body that we are. It says over here, the main error of the biomedical approach is the confusion between disease processes and disease origins. Instead of asking why an illness occurs and trying to remove the conditions that lead to it, medical researchers try to understand the biological mechanisms through which the disease operates so that they can interfere with them. These mechanisms, rather than the true origins, are seen as the causes of disease in current medical thinking, and this confusion lies at the very center of the conceptual problems of contemporary medicine. Almost all the prevention programs you see today, such as mammograms or other screening programs, are nothing more than patient recruitment schemes designed to increase revenue and sickness. 
They use free screenings to scare people into agreeing to unnecessary treatments that only lead to further disease. Nobody has any interest in your health except you. No corporation, no doctor, and no government has any desire to actually make you well. This has served the short-term financial interest of higher powers in the West very well. The only healthy, aware, critically thinking individuals are all 100% free of pharmaceuticals and processed foods. So that is indeed what happens. We have to take care of us. That's simply the way it is. If you want to dig a hole in your backyard, nobody's going to do it for you. You're going to have to do it yourself. Of course, you can hire somebody. But when it comes to health, it's us building the mountain. It's we, we may get support to get the job done, but it has to start with us to make the initiative, to make the decision. That's what we're going to do. And, and, and like Dave just called from Butte, and he says he's been in this health kick for the last four years, he made the decision. Nobody else did it for him. He said, I am not feeling great the way I am, so what can I do to improve my health? And those are the important questions we have to ask ourselves. How much are we truly interested in feeling better? Do we actually know what it is to feel better? Do we say to ourselves, well, we're just getting older. What does that mean? Once you are slipping on a slope and the slope is going slightly downhill, all you're going to do is pick up speed. You're going to pick up, pick up speed. You're going to have to somehow get off that track and hold on to something before you start fall, falling all the way down. So as we start seeing that our health is failing, we, well, we can either go for the ride, so to say, or we can say we're going to slow it down as much as we can and if possible, rotate it. And if we can rotate the direction, we will slow down the dying process. But we go for the ride, we're accelerating the dying process and we're going to have misery for many years, if not decades, to come. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program this morning. What's your Good name? How can we help you? Good morning. Tyler, I, I just I, wanted to bring up that uh, I've seen, I watched a recent documentary called uh, What the Hell? Yeah. I'm curious if you've seen that yet. I have not. Okay. Um, so it basically What the hell or what the health? What the health. Okay, what the health. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it goes off the line of basically what you're talking about today, the FDA, Big Pharma, the government, uh, American Heart Association, and how we've been duped by them to continually consume what they're feeding us. Um, yeah. It touches on eating basically the meat-based diet that we're being shoved all the time. You know, you got everyone who's addicted to fast food restaurants that have the beef and everything from there, right. and then your store-bought beef, and drawing the conclusion that um, eating this meat diet, whether it's chicken, beef, and such, that raises your um, your inflammation, uh, your heart disease, your risk to um, colon cancer, yeah. uh, heart attack. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to pull off the main points of it. Oh, the other one that came across was with um, the type of old person diseases and such that we have, like uh, Alzheimer's. 
yes. drawing the conclusion that uh, the antibiotics and such that are fed to these cows and the disease causes mad cow can only be killed at uh, 800 degrees. Okay. And so when you're eating that meat, you're consuming that mad cow disease as well. And they're drawing the line uh, where I've seen some of the research that I've read up on is that um, mad cow disease is basically Alzheimer's in humans. Interesting point. Yeah. And they're drawing that because the uh, antibiotics is uh, filled with, I believe it's copper and borium, which causes the degradation of those proteins. Mm -hmm. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess what is like pushing out the best diet if you need, like, is there a right amount of meat to eat? Is there no amount of meat that you should have in your diet? I, um, I think, uh, I think, uh, Tyler, right? Is your name? Yes. I think that, uh, we need protein, but how you get that protein, that is up to you. There are vegans who focus on the protein on a vegan source, and I'm not talking about just beans or anything. There are different right. ways to get your protein. Nothing but they, yeah. they will nourish the cells, and the cells, as the research shows, about 60 to 65% of each and every cell in our body depends on amino acids. Uh, about 25% depends on fats. 10% is sugars, 5% is vitamins, and another 5% is minerals. We, we need the, the activities in each and every cell. If it is a liver cell, skin cell, eyeball cell, intestinal, spleen cell, whatever, whatever cell it is, they all need food in order to live and to do what they're supposed to do. So I tell people that if you are not an active person, and that is not a shame, that is simply if you don't have time to be active, if you don't want to be active, or if you are in a wheelchair, or even you're quadriplegic, you cannot exercise, you're not exercising, you're not burning calories by through exercising, then I would recommend that you find out approximately what your ideal weight is. And you take that ideal weight number, and then you say, um, I take 50% of the ideal weight in grams of protein per day. And then if you uh if and then still try to get about twenty-five to thirty percent fats. And the fats I'm talking about here are the uh, the avocados and avocado oil. We have coconut oil, fish oil, flax oil, butter from grass fat sources, uh olive oil. Um those are those are really good. A little bit of nut butter, probably maybe like an almond butter. Uh, you can mm -hmm. do some macadamia nuts, macadamia, pistachios, and walnuts all seem to be anti-inflammatory nuts. And so those are sources of fats that we can consume. Now, if you are a medium active person, so let's say you're driving your car uh, when you're not active, you're driving your car 80 miles an hour cruise control on a flat road, you, you, barely, you use gasoline, but not as much once you're cruising. But if you go in a 6% hill and you keep it at 80 miles an hour you are going to burn through the fuel very quickly and mm -hmm. so as we are exercising two to four times a week vigorous exercises breaking a sweat doing resistance training we are now burning through that protein a lot faster so we need to get more protein and i recommend people do 75 percent 
of their ideal weight in grams of protein. So it's not what you want to be, but based on your height and your bone structure, what is approximately your ideal weight? And so now you start increasing that protein to about 75%. If you are very active five to seven times a week, you have vigorous workouts, you have a very physically demanding job where you work five, six days a week, you almost need to go to fit to 100% of your ideal weight in grams of protein per day. And so the issue is, uh, Tyler, that then protein really will be used as a nutrient. People think, oh my God, I'm going to look like a bodybuilder. No, the, it, mm-hmm. is, it is the functioning of the body that determines what you look like. So if you're a runner and you run every day, you still need all that protein, but you will never be a big person. But if right. you, how you use your muscles. Right. If you use your muscle in a certain way and you if, if you decide you don't want to do any cardio, all you want to do is lift weights, the protein is going to be used to restore the muscle very quickly. And you because now you have your muscles to lift weights, you will start looking like you're lifting weights. So it all depends on your activity level, but it is simply nutrition. It's not just nutrition for the muscle. It is nutrition for each and every cell in our body. They're all alive. And if we don't do that, the cell deteriorates. When the cell deteriorates and it needs to be replaced, it is the stem cell production that helps to replace those cells. Now, at a certain point when we're young and we we, we overuse our body and we don't eat enough proteins and fats, we have continuously the supply of stem cells to replace the damaged cells. And so when you're young, you are recuperating very fast if you have an injury or an infection or uh, inflammation. When you get older and you eat the wrong food, not only do you not supply the fuel to, to create new stem cells, you also therefore don't have enough stem cells to replace, to, uh, to, to douse the fires, so to say, that are now establishing themselves all over your body. So your hip hurts, your foot hurts, your shoulder hurts, your lower back hurts, your your chest hurts, and you have issues that need stem cells to replace it. But you don't have enough stem cell production because the food you're eating is not supplying more stem cells. And so now we start to have aches and pains and chronic diseases, and now we start to panic because we are not able anymore to self-medicate what we thought we were doing all along because we were healing up so quickly. We're trying to, well, now we're going, we're panicking. We go to a doctor and we say, doc, I don't know what this pain is over here. I don't know why I'm falling apart. I got aches and pains everywhere. My brain is not functioning right. And so the doctor is then going to help you with uh, it's his medication or her medication. So it is important that we nourish the cells so that the cells can keep doing what they're supposed to do. And uh, as far as protein is concerned, that's what you're looking at as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Would you feel there's a correlation in the length of our intestines for the type of food we're supposed to eat? Explain that. So, like, Is there a correlation uh, between the length of, in, length of intestines and the food that we're supposed to eat? Right. So if you look at uh, a strictly meat eater, carnivore, that eats um, their meats every time, uh, they have a very short intestinal tract. And then you go into the apes, the chimpanzees and such, and then the humans, and the length of their um, intestinal tract is quite a bit longer. And seeing the 
uh, diets that they eat compared to, to what humans eat and how internal structures are about the same and how you can look at a gorilla or an ape and the amount of strength that they have and all they're basically eating is uh, some bugs and uh, fruits and vegetables. Okay. So you're saying because we have a long intestines, our intestines are much longer, we yep. are supposed to eat more plant food? Correct. I don't know. I think uh, you can get... The- sure, but I, I think still that you need proteins, and I think that the majority of protein needs to start its breakdown in the stomach, not in the intestines. The intestine is simply for absorption. And because right. of the variety that we eat in foods... Uh, we may need that much intestine in order to absorb uh, along the way different bacteria break down different parts of foods. Um, I, I, not, you know, if you people want to be vegans, I am not against being a vegan. All I'm seeing is that women who say, "Well, I'm just going to be a vegan," many of them have hair loss, many of them start having metabolic problems. Many of them start eating a lot of carbohydrates, and because of that, they start having uh, hypoglycemic issues, hormonal right, issues. They're not, they're not eating the full balanced diet that they could be because they don't understand being a vegan. Exactly. So that is, my, that is an important point. I, if you want to change your diet, study it, and then, and then apply it. And if you find out after three or four months that you're not feeling better, and literally not that your mind says, well, you have to feel better, so tell everybody you feel better. No, you're actually really not feeling better, then you should have to, you should make adjustments in your diet because you're not helping yourself. And you should know within three or four months. Okay. So I am not against vegan, veganism or vegetarianism. I personally think that if you have a variety of combinations of different proteins, either from eggs and fish and meat and chicken and pheasant and turkey and, uh, and, 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 and certain bean proteins, something, a vegan protein, you can do all those combinations, and I think you're going to be just fine. Now, we have, we, we're told that we get a lot of protein out of cottage cheese. Well, that's all nice, but then you look again at the quality of the dairy products out today. It's just not the way it used to be. Um, uh, I just, you know. I, I see a lot of people who are on these uh, non-meat diets and they're simply losing muscle tone because they just don't get enough protein. They're just snacking all day long because they're constantly hungry and they eat all these things that have no meat in them and then they justify uh, they justify that they're vegans and say, well, that's just I'm just a skinny dude. I'm just skinny. But I go like, you have no muscle tone. You have no strength. You have no endurance. Uh, you know, you need to focus on 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 different parts that make up health. It is not just how do you stand on the scale and how much do you weigh. It really has to do with you as a whole. Right. Can totally agree with that. My next question for you was: Have you read the China study? No, that's been a long time ago. Uh, I've browsed through it, and uh, there is there is controversy about the China study. The the believers believe that that's that's the way to go. And uh, the people who have studied it and taken it apart, there has been long articles written about the China study, how you can take it apart. Um, I, I, I think the study was flawed, but it is definitely an interesting read. Okay. I have not read it yet. I was just uh, looking at it, seeing if I should jump into it. No, I think there is other uh, better work out there that, uh, that you can read. 
that but you know hey if you like to read and you're a good you're a fast reader i mean the book is pretty thick so i would uh, i would do that but if you look at what happened in 1953 when ansel keys came out with the idea that saturated fats were bad for us and uh, we shouldn't do meat and stuff and we should do more plant-based oils. Uh, it has increased obesity, inflammation. It has increased uh, uh, thyroid disorders. It has increased uh, dementia, uh, heart disease. Uh, obviously, his thoughts were not so good, but he wrote this book, this study called The Seven Country Study because he had studied these seven countries and figured out that the way these people were living, that is what they were all healthy, and that's what we needed to do. Well, after that was accepted as law, you know, that became the food pyramid in the United States, they discovered that he actually studied like 18 or 21 countries, but he cut all the ones out that didn't uh, that didn't jive with his thinking. He picked just the seven that he really liked. And so that's why it made like a, whoa, he studied seven countries. No, he did a lot more than that. Uh, and he came out with this study that just focused on the ones that he liked. Okay. Have you heard of that? I have not heard of that, no. You know who I'm talking about? I have I have not even, nope. Ancel Keys is A-N-C-E-L. A-N-C-E-L. Keys. Okay. K-E-Y-S. Okay. Look him up. He died. To, he lived to be 100, but that could be all different kinds of reasons. But he, uh, mm-hmm. the seven-country diet, the seven-country study, and um, that is that has become the the law where he said that all saturated fats were bad, and that's what I was talking about in the article on the cholesterol that uh, we have been misled. So for the longest time, meat, butter, uh, heavier proteins were seen as toxic and bad for us, and in reality, they are really uh, they have the nutrition, and we can take out of that what we can, but it is not. The, the 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 safflower canola sunflower seed oil sesame oil walnut oil uh, to use that and the margarine uh, those have really caused a lot of health problems in this country in the last 50 years okay all right i can yep perfect okay i gotta run tyler thank you appreciate the call all the best bye-bye Bye. so please uh, stay tuned i'm looking forward to that and to more from you this is Gesundheit with Jacobus. Health Talk Radio.